0: Obsessive compulsive doesn't even begin to describe you, does it?
1: Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the ever-grumpy Peter.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Windows 10 can uh, sit on a spinning chainsaw cock. I think that would be fitting.
1: I can't disagree with you. Cecil is out. Riker, his son had an ear infection shortly before this. His He needs to take care of his son. So sitting in, I, I called in his non-union British equivalent, Glenn Criddle.
0: Yeah, I'm acting as the stunt double today.
1: But with that accent, all the girls will be swooning over you. I doubt it. (laughs) If you guys want to swoon or get swooned, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So what I want to talk about tonight is a couple of weeks ago, Steven Spielberg made a couple of interesting comments. They got me thinking... Film has really, really changed in the last even just 10 years from where it was in 2009, let alone to where it was, say, in 1999 or 1989. So let's start with the Steven Spielberg comments. He was having problems with the Oscars coming up that... There are Netflix movies being nominated for Oscars, and he doesn't think that they should be Oscar nominated because, and the way he puts it is, streaming is done either on a television or like your, you know, a pad or a phone or some sort of a mobile device that these are TV movies. They should not qualify for Oscars or other awards because they are not films. Mm. Quote, I love television. I love the opportunity. Some of the greatest writing being done today is for television. Some of the best directing for television, some of the best performances are, are on television today. The sound is better in homes than it has ever been in history, but there's nothing like going to a dark theater with people you've never met before and having the experience wash over you. That is something we truly believe in. I don't believe what does that have to do with the quality of the actual film? I, I'm getting like. to that. I, I'm I'm still <laughs> quoting. I don't believe that films that are just given token qualifications in a couple of theaters for less than a week should qualify for the Academy Award nominations. Fewer and wow. fewer filmmakers are going to struggle to raise money or to compete at Sundance and possibly get one of the specialty labels to release their films theatrically. And more of them are going to let the SVOD, Streaming Video on Demand, business finance their films. Maybe with the promise of a slight one-week theatrical window to qualify for for awards. But in fact, once you commit to a television format, you're a TV movie, not a movie. Unquote. What he's saying is, streaming is so different from what we think of as a film that those should not qualify as films. I agree and I disagree.
2: I completely disagree. Uh film is a film. If it's a movie, if it's feature length, if it's either distributed on television or it's distributed through a streaming service. And especially in this case, streaming is basically the middle ground filmmaking of today. We don't really have video stores. Um, the on demand market isn't something that a lot of people do. So they'd rather go on Netflix or other streaming services. You, what do we got? We got Shutter. There's Hulu. There's, there's all these other random ones and, and there are original films made for that. So I feel like they count especially if they're very good, especially if they're quality films. I think anybody complaining about this are directors that are, or filmmakers in general, that are a little bit insecure that maybe these movies are a little bit better than theirs.
0: I think there's about a billion holes in the uh, argument that if it's not on at the cinema, it's not a film. I mean, look at anything from um, straight-to-video stuff. That's only going to get seen in the home, I think which is streamed, feature-length TV movies. Uh, there's no intrinsic difference between a TV movie and something that's shown at the cinema other than the venue that it's shown at. So it just strikes me as possibly snobbery
1: even go back to the i lost it at the video store episode we did where i quoted tarantino where he was talking about reservoir dogs at the time he said if reservoir dogs had come out direct to video he didn't consider that a real film that if it didn't play in a theater it's not a movie that those are videos that appeared on vid- on vhs and films played in theaters
0: yeah but then you're, all you're talking about is a venue you know um that's the, literally the only difference is the venue in, in which it's initially screened whether it's an event or not and uh, i i think devaluing the thing itself and saying that can't be compared to what happens in this particular venue is ridiculous can you imagine it in any other kind of arena whether it's a game of football a piece of theatre, just because a theatre is not necessarily done on a stage doesn't mean it's not a piece of theatre. So as an argument, I can't understand where he's coming from other than a films happen only in the cinema kind of um, approach, which I think is patently ridiculous, to to be quite honest.
1: Well, I think he's also talking about like awards. Being on Netflix, which is essentially TV, because he he did clarify later that he thinks movies like Roma, the, the Netflix movie that's up for all the Oscars, should not be up for Oscars. It should be up for mm-hmm. Emmys because it's television, that this is a TV movie. And, and there has always been that separation. TV movies have been eligible for Emmys not for Oscars. I think that's his problem where he's, I think, worried about this blending where television and movies are kind of the same thing, especially when awards, I don't care about awards, but I do sort of see his point because I remember back in the 80s, Joe Bob Briggs was on Pay Cable. HBO sometimes got nominated for Emmys, but in general, Cable had the Cable Ace Awards. I remember Joe Bob Briggs used to talk about in his newsletter that he sent out, he got irritated that his show won numerous Cable Ace Awards but was not eligible for Emmys because pay cable didn't count as television. And then by the early 1990s, all of a sudden pay cable was emmy compatible but for a while it was oh no you're on pay cable that you can't get an emmy for that that's not real television so it's sort of the same thing where you know they keep blending part of me agrees with spielberg and says no a movie like roma is essentially tv it should be winning emmys not oscars and part of me says like peter it it is still a movie it's just a venue so i like i said I don't I'm not trying to say one way or the other you can d- agree or disagree you know I don't like streaming I don't know what to think about this one so I agree with Spielberg and I don't
0: for me it's it's as much a case of looking at what the format of the the thing is a movie is fairly easy to define in a lot of respect in it it's generally a self-contained story that's told usually between 60 to 120 minutes, generally speaking, and it's kind of a one-shot deal, sequels notwithstanding, whereas TV tends to be deliberately and overtly episodic. So, I mean, when you're looking at the actual thing, I think that's um, that's an easy way to define what a movie is, you know, regardless of what format it actually happens to be aired on. And um, one of the things is the delivery systems that we have now are changing, and the only argument I can actually see that uh, anybody would have for um, saying it's got to pretty much exclusively be something which is shown in the cinema that goes for these awards would be just that they're worried about it going away, much in the same way like... Some of the directors are worried about the format of uh Soliloid going away.
2: Well, yeah, it's a new format. Every generation or so, there's something new that's introduced and a new way of watching things, a new way of being introduced to content. People like Spielberg that are saying, oh, well, these aren't real movies because this is streaming or this isn't real because this is TV. They're still kind of living in the past in a way. And I don't want to call them old fogies, but I'm going to because... <laughs> They're, they're still living at a point where TV movies were a little more cheesy. I mean, you did used to have some really good TV movies that would show up, like the, the Hitcher was technically originally going, uh, was a TV movie. You had, uh, Kolchak, the Night Stalker, which was very impressive for a TV movie, even though it still kind of felt like a TV movie. But nowadays, you see movies that are produced by Netflix or by other streaming services or ones that are made for TV or even TV shows themselves, the, the quality sometimes more often than not is actually better than a lot of the stuff that we're seeing in theaters to begin with. It's so much more accessible to people. A lot more people are streaming now. A lot more people are getting downloadable content or ordering things online. It's It's become its own service to where lots and lots of people are watching it and tuning in uh, just as much as people that are going to go see, see things in, in theaters in these so-called experience of sitting in a dark room with a bunch of people you never miss. Shut up, you pretentious old f**k. People are watching movies and they're enjoying them. It doesn't matter where they're watching them as long as they're enjoying them genuinely. You know, for all you know, they're getting together with friends in their dark living rooms and watching it on their TV with their surround sound and all this stuff. It really doesn't matter how you watch a film as long as the experience still feels special it just sounds really pretentious to me and in a lot of ways very insecure because they're they're worried that their way of making films is becoming obsolete it's it's just kind of a it, to me it's just it's just a deal with it sort of thing it's like times are changing people are still making movies just a lot of people are watching them kind of differently
1: but the bleed I think, is the is what people like Spielberg are more afraid of. Because now you've got these rumblings. Now, YouTube has not been making the rumblings, but other people have that shows like YouTube Originals, like Cobra Kai, why can't that be nominated for an Emmy if Netflix shows can be nominated for Emmys? Because they're both streaming. You watch them on your TV or your pad. And I'm thinking, I don't know, when you start putting YouTube videos as Emmy nominatable, that's when I start to see, well, then then the Emmy's pretty meaningful isn't it?
2: Oh, yeah, it kind of is, because it's such an it's an old system, unfortunately. Pretty much created when TV was just TV. But here's the thing shows are not just TV anymore. There's a lot of people that watch original YouTube content. There's a lot of people that watch Cobra Kai. It's the same thing with, you know, Academy Awards for for movies and saying, oh, well, they shouldn't be if it's streaming. Well, too bad. Not everybody's watching things on TV, just as not everybody's watching things things in theaters. I honestly agree that both Netflix content, YouTube content, wherever whatever wherever other streaming services making quality content that people are enjoying that could be eligible for some sort of award should very well be eligible for that award if it's good enough to be there.
0: Um, I think it's as much to uh, do with the uh the nature of the award ceremonies themselves. I think something like the Oscars is becoming a failing format apart from anything else. It's it's certainly becoming a, a much more marginalised one. You know, it, if it can't have access to some great pieces of work, art, whatever you want to call them, these various films that are just happen to have been delivered in a different way, then I think that's as much a loss to something like the Oscars as it is kind of trying to preserve the old guard of cinema as being the um, the height of achievement, which I don't think it is these days, as it is. Audiences are dwindling when it comes to cinemas itself. And as much of a shame as that is, it just seems to be the way that it's going. And if that's the case, then something like the Oscars will eventually either have to adapt or die, basically. Well, nobody even wants to host them this year. No, exactly. You know, I mean, um, let's face it. I mean, the Oscars is... Not the greatest example of um, award ceremonies these days anyway, as no, prestigious it's not. as it's supposed to be. It's now been overtaken with this bizarre display of politics all the time.
1: Jordan Peele being an that Oscar that they... winner proves that the Oscars have no meaning.
0: <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things. It's going to have to adapt at some point. And I think if they don't, then somebody else will make an award ceremony that will be better equipped to deal with that kind of stuff, you know, which will be able to look at movies from other sources, hold them in the same kind of respect and celebrate those kind of films alongside the stuff that would happen at the cinema. I, I think that would be the way that it's going to go. You know, I will not be sad the day that the final Oscars airs.
1: Well, okay, let's shift the focus then a little bit here. How film has changed? Because one of the things I've noticed is television, and I'm not talking TV movies like the Roma situation, but TV shows have started to take the place of where movies used to be and not necessarily in a great way. Say you're adapting a book. Now now you'll make a 13 episode 13 hour long episode series where it should be a 90 minute movie like night flyers is a perfect example that's a relatively short book it was already made into a movie that was already stretching to fill 90 minutes that somehow they decided you know what this should be a 13 hour miniseries And then you sat and watched it, and you went, oh, my God, so much padding. And you just ask yourself, why did this need to be a TV show? It didn't (laughs) is the point. And you see this over and over and over and over again in television where you've got five great hours of content, and you have 13 hours to fill. And I think a lot of these things, television series, Netflix series, Hulu series, whatever nowadays, would have worked way better as one 90-minute movie than 13 boring as fuck hours of television to tell the same story. For some reason, nowadays it's, let's do it as a TV show, but we don't need to. We're doing it as a TV show. Well, it's all trends.
2: I mean, right now, TV is very, very popular as far as, like, long-running episodic formats where you take one whole season of a show, and that's the story. Like, that season is where the story goes. It's like 13 to 12 episodes. Like, it's what they do with The Walking Dead. It's what they're doing with the Marvel shows. It's what they're doing with American Horror Story. They take one story, they take one story arc, and they wrap it up within 13 episodes, which obviously is very different from the way TV used to be. TV used to just be more, even if the show wasn't an anthology show, it would be a little more anthology based in a way because it would be a different story every time, even if it had the same characters. I mean, obviously Miami Vice would be a case-by-case basis. You know, Simpsons would be a day or week week basis where it's like Bart goes on some adventure or Homer has something at work or Marge has a little sub-story. And now it's more... Every season is one long 13, 14-hour story arc, which it seems to be popular now. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I mean, I because what sucks is if you don't like the story that's being introduced in the first episode you're probably not going to like the next 12 episodes because this is the story we're focusing on whether you like it or not which I, I do think is a bit of a pitfall it made me lose interest very quickly in the Netflix Punisher show because I do not like season 2 at all and I still haven't finished the season I think I'm only about 7, I'm somehow 7 or 8 episodes in because I've been waiting for it to get better and that's, that's what sucks is if you don't like that story to be Begin with you're just kind of watching, hoping that it gets better at some point, hoping that something happens that you enjoy, which which unfortunately is the new format now. This is what people like, thanks to what could you blame? I, 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 would I don't want to say, blame, this on, blame this on.
1: I, I would blame this on mm? Netflix because, and
3: I hate. I, I would hate blame it on term. Breaking
2: Bad. I would say Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead because they kind of did that. So I wouldn't say Netflix. i am say more AMC because AMC came out with you know the breakthrough shows like. Breaking Bad and Walking Dead did very very well with people and it's like that's sort of more every season is one long drawn out story of of where they're going to go. Blame it on Netflix for maybe popularizing it even more, but I would fully put the uh I would fully put the credit on AMC for how well Breaking Bad did and how well The Walking Dead is doing because Breaking Bad really is like like a 20 to 30 hour film basically or, or longer than that of, of one character and his journey and every season is like one storyline basically, except that was done incredibly well. So that gave a that gave a very good example of, okay, this is what we can do with this and how it could work really well. Uh, walking dead did it as well, of course. And then other shows started to do it. So really, it's it's more just television and media services following trends. And right now, the trend is the TV show where one season is just one long movie storyline thing that that comes to its climax by the end of the season. And then next season is a new story. I I
1: disagree with that. I I think this isn't Netflix's fault, but I'm blaming Netflix. And I hate this term. They, they started the whole binge it. Instead of you get an episode a week to follow this, you know, 13 episode story, all 13 hours. I mean, th- they actually encouraged people, call in sick from work, the new Punisher drops today, you can watch all 13 in one day. I hate this whole binge watching thing. Then just make it a goddamn movie. If you're gonna watch all, all of it at one time, make it a goddamn movie. Pull out all the padding. You know, Stranger Things. I liked Stranger Things Season 1, Season 2 was a complete train wreck. You look at all the padding that's in this to drag it out to eight episodes. You could have gotten one really good movie out of this. Instead, you got eight mediocre episodes out of it. The whole binging thing requires multiple episodes, which requires padding. And that I blame Netflix
0: for. I'm not quite so sure about that Um, you look at the state of movies these days um, even in the cinema most of the films are franchises Either that, or they're deliberately designed to be two or three films, and this has been the case for over a decade. You know, this, this is the um, the way entertainment seems to be delivered. If you look at something like the um, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings was one book that was made into three three hour films. <laughs> then you've got then you've got the Hobbit, which was the shortest of the lot, which was made into three three hour films. TV is not. The only one that is um, like that, I think that's to do as much with directorial kind of um, approach to storytelling. Certainly when you're talking about adaptation, very less willing to cut and make an efficient story these days. With the format of TV, get away with that because you generally deliver an hour at best which somebody will sit down with and you have a little bit of ebb and flow within that particular episode. And then it's kind of reasonably contained, but the audience expects to have to wait to the next episode. With films, it's a little bit more difficult, but they are definitely making that kind of effort. I mean, you just have to look at the Marvel and the DC films with, with the self-indulgences both of those franchises have for making very, very, very long films that have tendrils which go out in uh, a million different directions you know and you're expected like with the marvel films to some extent Although they do it reasonably well in that each film is, is watchable on its own. If you want to get the whole story, then you have to watch X amount of other films as well. And, uh, yeah, so and TV. The TV
2: show and you gotta watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. too. Yeah. You, gotta, you gotta binge watch everything to get the whole story. So it, it's not, as, as I was also disagreeing with Josh a little bit, it's not just Netflix's fault. There are other avenues of, of media that have been doing this for a lot longer. And yeah, I agree with movies especially. That goes back to like the 70s and the 80s, especially with you know horror franchises. Even like the James Bond films, like they never really stopped making those. With the the Saw films, the Lord of the Rings movies that never needed to be as long as they were. This is just banking on what what people enjoy. People unfortunately vote with their wallets, and if if they're going to see these franchise movies, these long running. Fast and the Furious movies or whatever other franchise is big, if they keep going to see them and they keep going and watching the Transformers movies or whatever else is a long two million movie franchise that they just keep pumping out the sequels, especially the Marvel stuff as well, people are going to those they are they paid to see Infinity War, they're going to pay to see Infinity War 2, they're going to go see Captain Marvel, they're going to go see whatever other one comes out. They keep going to see them, they keep making money, so they keep making them. You know, these studios believe that these big franchise things do well which is why Netflix is doing what they did because they saw what movies were doing they saw what The Walking Dead was doing they saw what Breaking Bad was doing so they're doing that they're capitalizing on what's going to sustain them as a company.
0: I think when you look at TV and stuff like that from from the past that's most definitely changed because um, all the episodic stuff i used to watch as a kid used to be very very self-contained although there was a little thread that would run through it was almost Mm. like each episode was thematically similar but now it's
2: its own its own sort of movie especially like like miami vice you could really separate any episode from any given season and just kind of enjoy it for its own merit because it's just one one contained story for that episode
1: case of like something with miami vice they would have the through line whether this was intentional or not of as glenn said the themes like you look at miami vice season four that entire season is about nihilism look at how Mm. almost every episode that season they lose the cops lose the bad guys lose more drugs come in they they lose the conviction their witness gets killed that whole season is about God damn, this drug war thing just is not working. Whether that was intended at Mm. the time or if that was just the malaise in the room that got them writing like that, that whole season is just a nihilistic, what's the point? Like uh, Hill Street Blues, which was actually, which is funny nowadays because Hill Street Blues in 1981 is now closer to like what a Netflix show would be today in terms of the serialization Mm. and everything. And at the time it was called, it's just a soap opera of a cop show. It's a soap opera. You know, it's so continuity-heavy, it's a soap (laughs) opera. Isn't it funny how we've shifted to Hill Street Blues was breaking the mold by making it that continuity-heavy, and then now when you don't have a show that's that continuity-heavy, you're the outsider?
0: (laughs) It's pretty funny. You know, in comparison to everything else that's out now, That's uh, that stands out because it is a series of self-contained things with only... A thread which runs through you know compared to everything now which is um like you say i guess in a much more of a soap opera con- uh, continuation kind of format
1: you brought it up earlier glenn everything's a franchise today and i think that is also a problem because you look at let's just go with with tv right now which i'll, I'll say netflix and stuff there are series that should be one season self-contained shows i'll, I'll stick with stranger things that first season should have ended there In season two, you really started to notice they are really, really stretching to try and keep this thing going. And then the obvious backdoor pilot in season two with the Chicago trip. Oh god, they're trying to franchise this. And then you look at the plot points we know about season three and you're like, oh, you are stretching, you're stretching so far, you're at the breaking point. And then they're like, well, and we got two more seasons after this. And you you just think, no, you don't. You ran out of story three seasons ago, and you're only in season two. This does not need to be a franchise. Stranger Things was an eight-episode miniseries. That's where it should have stayed. Mm. This is not a franchise. You wouldn't believe how many TV shows I watch nowadays where I'm like, season one, all right, story's over. All the storylines are wrapped up. Oh, God, they just announced season two. (laughs) Okay, and then season two is just, it meanders around, and you're like, why can't it just be a miniseries anymore? Like Altered Carbon. Mm. Altered Carbon was a damn miniseries. And they announced season two and you're like, God damn it. The story's over. <laughs> the characters all had the completion of their storyline. This doesn't need to be <laughs> a
0: series. Well, there's one answer to that. One, one word answer. It's money. Sequels. Uh, yes, exactly. I, I don't, I don't know if this is partly a um, nostalgic thing, you know, when you look back, but I think film and TV have become such big business now you know after the kind of collapse of hollywood with films like uh cleopatra and stuff i think priorities changed for a while and um films were being made for reasons other than just purely money so uh, and and with tv as well i think there was a certain amount of um i want to make a, a piece of art as well as something which is a piece of entertainment you look at it now you know especially when you look at those things like the the leaks that happened with Sony and, and so on. And you see the, uh, the inner workings of these things. Hollywood is very much a, a corporation again, to the point that everything that they make has to be milked to within an inch of its life. You see this in Hollywood. You see it in TV. You see it in computer games and, and, and all sorts of things. A, a good idea has to be absolutely milked for every last penny. You know, and I, I think that's. Where a big part of the problem comes is the approach to this stuff. It's not as a labour of love and art in the slightest. Now, it's it, it, the creators themselves might be doing that, but the people who are financing it, they want to see the um, the moolah coming back
2: all in what they can turn into a franchise and as much money that they can make out of it. That's It's as simple as that. Like, unfortunately, it is a very, very cold and, um, in a lot of ways, emotionless money-making machine.
0: Look at Ghostbusters at the moment. It's getting a yeah. remake. Um, whereas most people <laughs> would kind of look at it and go... Yeah, we might want to put this to bed for a decade and then just, you know, kind of, um, see where we go from there. Now, of course, this is the last chance that they've got. Get the, um, what's left of the original cast back, uh, for a send off. And you can argue two or throw as to whether that's a good thing. I think if they're going to do it, I guess they might as well do it now. But let's face it, they've got an awful lot riding this, um, on this franchise, this whole kind of ghost court things, you know, it's, They they had, before that um, Paul Feig's film came out, they had this whole kind of battle plan laid out in front of them that there was going to be spin-offs and there was going to be TV animated series and this and that and the other going on. It was never just about that film. You know, everything everything that they do has got to have about fifteen different revenue streams and um, options to branch off. Very little these days is self-contained. I think mm. that's one of the massive shifts that um, that has happened. Not just with TV, but with with film as in hollywood and uh and the likes i I agree
1: i agree and i think that is the problem for instance trilogies everything is a trilogy now how many movies have we seen in the last 20 years that have failed and never gotten a sequel and the movie itself is incomplete because it was meant to be the first part of a trilogy oh yeah but it (laughs) flopped at the box office so two and three never came out You're literally only getting one third of the story. I know I'm going to sound—I know I'm going to sound old here, but what happened to a movie having a complete story in it? Okay, maybe you can have one of the plot threads angle off in. Okay, there—that can be a sequel or or another side movie. Now every movie you are required to see every other movie in the franchise. What happened to a complete story from minute one to minute ninety? A whole story got told. I mean, as much as we bitch about, like, the sequelitis in the 80s with all the Friday the 13th movies, each Friday the 13th movie was more or less self-contained. Yes, they had a sequel come after it. Maybe the monster jumped back up right after, you know, before the credits or something. But more or less, you had just, each one was made as its own movie and not going, we're definitely making a second one. I mean, we did a whole episode <laughs> yeah. years ago, Peter, where we talked about all yeah. these franchises that never became franchises. And you look at how disappointing the solo movies are because they aren't a complete story.
0: And now you, you want to look at a, um, a great example of how sequelization can um, ruin a film, then look at The Matrix. You got a first film, which was a, a great little standalone film, but it all became bad because he decided to expand it. You know, I mean, it's such a perfect example of what we're talking about here is, is um, a great standalone movie that is drawn out to three. And mm-hmm. it's like, a, it failed at the point where they kind of went, right, okay, now we're going to just let you have all the money in the world and we're going to let you do whatever the hell you want. And then there's these two very mediocre films. I mean, visually stunning, but. Mediocre. You're being, you're being yeah, kind. Glenn. When it comes to watching, you're
1: being it. kind by calling them mediocre.
0: <laughs> you know, I mean, even if you're a massive fan, I think um, most people would struggle to sit through the um, the third film. Well, they took that one
2: shot of of Neo flying at the end of the first movie, and they're like. Oh, let's make a movie about that. It's like, no, that was just supposed to be like, kind of showing like how ridiculous things have gotten by the, by the end of that. And it's like, okay, now he's completely harnessed all his powers. It's like, <laughs> you don't necessarily need two more movies of that. Like it just mm-hmm. gets like, ridiculous. Ridiculous to that point.
0: I, I think one of the few films that's actually kind of done that, that whole first part was a self-contained film and then um, went on to do well was probably Star Wars. But um, another bad example would be the RoboCop series. Mm-hmm. Great first film. First sequels. film
2: that should have just been one movie. It, exactly. Only it, everything completely uh, finished in its third arc. He regained his humanity. He saved the day. You know, he fought injustice. There was some nice social commentary in there. That, that never needed to be a franchise.
0: No, no, but the, but the uh, powers that be feel it needs to be. And sometimes the directors are just as complicit in that, in going, oh yeah, but I'd love to expand the stories. No, you've got it self-contained. It's. It's, it's not even that they'd love
2: to expand the stories. They're just like, oh, kids really like this RoboCop guy. Let's make more. Let's make a, yeah. let's yeah. make a
1: kid's cartoon.
2: It's like, well, let's make a kid's cartoon. He shoots rapists in the dick.
1: Peter, ironically, Hedgehog. kids loved this movie they couldn't go see. But they did anyway because <laughs> the 80s were great. <laughs> With the, this franchisation of everything, you also have the fact of franchises after the fact. 20 mm. or 30 years later, let's make a sequel. I hate these. I cannot stand this, that, okay, this, you know, even if like, like Robocop was, you know, it, that was a dead franchise for many, many years. After Robocop 3, you know, they had the one, the remake is part of the problem. This whole 20 yeah. years after the franchises died, Let's do a remake. Well, that's not really that, that uncommon. I mean, that's what they did with,
2: um, let's say the fly, the thing, you know, they wanted to do like a reimagining. It's just the problem with the way a lot of remakes are now where it's like they, they'll change like a few things but it'll still thematically be the same thing. It's a lot like what Ghostbusters does, Ghostbusters did. It took the original film, it changed a few things, they gender-swapped a few things, and it's essentially almost the same story, just with little changes, and it feels very lazy. And it's why people didn't stick to it. It's why people didn't take to the Robocop remake because it's like, well, why would I watch this when I can just watch the original? This is practically the exact same story, just the original did it better. It's, it has nothing to do with like sexism or racism or politics. It, if it's a poorly done remake to a
1: film that still stands the test of time. Why go see it? Let's do a sequel 20, 30 years after, like Big Trouble in Little China. They're making a sequel now. For a film that perfectly works well as just like a standalone thing. First of all, yeah, it doesn't need a sequel. But also, John Carpenter tried to make a sequel back then, because remember the movie drastically underperformed. So he tried to make Mm. a sequel. Nobody was interested then. Now, 30 years later, it's like, hey, not John. Do you want to make a sequel? (laughs) 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 <laughs> no, that that's the that's the last thing we need is a is another
2: big trouble in Little China movie to uh basically tarnish the memory of how amazing the first one I, is.
1: I mean, thankfully it, it, these next two things have never happened, but they've been trying for years. Sci fi Channel has been trying to make a they live T V series that would follow oh, the events no. of the first film and, and and I'm quoting, recontextualize them for a modern audience. Shut up. Oh. Just shut the f- up! Stop now. You're wrong. You will continue to be wrong, and this is why for the last eight years nobody will greenlight this show. And mm-hmm. you got this. Then you got this thing with with Videodrome. They are still. I just read in 2018 we've got a Videodrome remake in the works, but it's going to be about nanites and the internet. So absolutely nothing like Videodrome then, huh? <laughs>
0: That's a Black Mirror episode, Glenn, isn't it? Yeah, that's
1: that's what it is. That's all it is.
0: Both those films have very, very relevant things that can actually be retold. I I have no trouble in principle with retelling that story. To some degree, I have a little bit of a problem if they just try to steal the identity of the original films.
1: Honestly, But those are
0: stories that can be...
1: Honestly, mm -hmm. I think they live if done right, could be a TV series. The Resistance, the, you know, you, you, you could, I hate to say this, recontextualize it. It could almost be, it could be a lot like uh, like V. That's exactly what I was thinking. You, you know, you, you could have the aliens using the fake news aspect that's, yeah. in, that's in culture today to say that this didn't really happen. You have the underground movement. You could really do something with it. I don't think that's what they're going for. They want to do a TV show remake of the film, like a, the, yeah. which
2: is just stupid. Why? You know,
1: and then Videodrome, yeah. okay, Videodrome had its place. If you change it to nanites in the internet, it's not Videodrome. Yes, you could still make a social no. point about it. I'm not saying that maybe the writers of the Videodrome remake do not have a great, I've not, I haven't read their script, but maybe they've got a great script. Maybe they've got some great ideas for social commentary, but it isn't Videodrome.
0: No, I mean, I, I personally, if I was doing that sort of thing, I'd be making it, um, basing video drone around something like, uh, Alex Jones kind of material, David Icke kind of material, um, and sort of playing that kind of end of it, you know, stuff which is relevant today and, um, seeing where that sort of takes you. You know, the whole kind of, um, battle of, uh, big media against these kind of, uh, shall we say, independent news. I say that in air quotes, <laughs> uh, that would be a more interesting kind of approach to doing something like Videodrome that would um, uh, work quite nicely and actually sort of update the themes of the original film right. uh, both both of those do have very very solid and very relevant things and they've always been relevant that's the thing you know uh, when we look back at them we go oh it was really kind of uh, forward thinking and both of them were in and some both of respects, them bombed
1: well, because i think they were too far ahead of what audiences wanted <laughs> in in 83 and 88 respectively
0: yeah. But I mean, the thing is, even back then, those those things were quite apparent. You know, when you're looking at something like Videodrome, uh, based in part on things like um, Simulacra and Simulation, um, those kind of philosophical A, a, a whole
1: lot of the Malcolm McLuhan stuff, too, of, you know, the medium is the message.
0: Yeah, so it wasn't anything new back in those days, but it was not something that the public was really kind of um, aware of. It'd be interesting to go do an update of that kind of stuff. Not necessarily call it Videodrome, but certainly kind of, because I think Videodrome is probably a, a slightly archaic term for today. But uh, doing something with the internet and and kind of um, taking that sort of approach, yeah, you could retell that story, no problem. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't uh, poo poo that idea, you know, offhand, because I think it's it's particularly a worthwhile idea. And I wish I wish more production companies were willing to go down um, lines like that and hopefully, and I say hopefully, kind of give us something which is interesting uh, that you can actually think about something which worms under your skin and makes you think about the world that's around you
1: okay now i think if they live turned into a tv show video drama remade you know what would happen to them they would get bogged down in identity politics they would get bogged down in how much diversity they need and it would completely take over these projects
0: probably yeah yeah sadly probably true (laughs) they would because
2: the thing is they Live already kind of had that to begin with. It was a it was a political film, a, a political satire. It's a social kind of a gay movie. Kind of, on, the
1: the, the 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 gay bromance between those two. It, it it's it's a it's got an undercurrent of homosexuality in They Live. Ain't love grand? <laughs> No, but really it's not only
2: that, but it was, I think Carpenter himself said he was making fun of Reaganomics. He was lampooning characters like Rambo. So a lot of it did have a, a political vibe to it, um, and a social satire to it. Um, but I think what, what I would like to say is instead of trying to be all, um, I, I don't want to sound too much like I'm condemning social justice stuff or, you know, they can't have diversity. Of course you can have diversity. The problem is they would make Get very on the nose it would be very much throwing it in your face you get it you get it this character is this because of that and it's like just just have characters and if they end up being gay they're gay and if they end up being trans or crippled or whatever the fuck, that's what they are that's perfectly fine focus on the story focus on what the characters are driven by not who
1: they are as oh people. come on peter you know if they did a remake of they live or did it as a tv series the new main character would be a gay black trans vegan because we have to have identity politics now no, no, I see. That's what his best
2: friend would be because they're too chicken shit to actually make that the main character. <laughs> that's the problem with a lot of these um – these diversified shows or whatever the whatever the hell is I would almost respect it more if they made that the main character it's always usually not even the co-character it's like the the secondary character somewhere off in the background that shows up to like tell you all about who they are and how unique they are and it's like they're and they're not even the main character it's just see people that's what forced diversity is that's what it is. We're not saying that it's not a good thing. It's perfectly great to have diversity, more more characters that are women, more characters that are gay, more characters that are trans. If anything, make a gay main, main character. We That's something that's needed in action to begin with. You mm-hmm. treat it like it's normal, not like it's ridiculously in your face. And if you really want to show me how ballsy you are, make it the main character. Don't make it their friend that shows up every other episode. But they're episode. trying, they're trying to
1: do that, Peter. The Escape from New... The, Are they, the, though? The, the escape I don't think they're, they're the brave enough. The Escape from New York remake, Snake Plissken, is now a black lesbian woman. Because you go, that's... <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. You go, that's just totally
2: Snake Plissken, right? Well, that movie's not going to happen anyway. They how, how long has that remake been in development for it it was originally going to be kate beckinsale as snake bliskin
1: i remember that back in like the earlier 2000s i know but i'm just saying like to me that's a classic overcorrection the other thing about i think how everything's changing is we have this weird and we've talked about like the whole retro thing but right now i think there are more tv series streaming series or movies that take place in the seventies and eighties, then took place in the seventies and eighties during the seventies and eighties. For fuck's sake, every trailer <laughs> I'm seeing is it's, it's a retro seventies movie. It takes place in the seventies. Takes place in 1977. Takes place in 1982. Takes place in 1989. Takes place in 1990. What is the retro thing? And I love the retro. I love the seventies, eighties, and, and early nineties movies. What is it about today that keeps going? Every other movie has to take place in the 70s 80s or 90s
0: you know i don't know what the ironic thing is is half the series in the 1980s were about 1999 and then we yeah. got past 1999 and we're all looking back to the 80s again <laughs> didn't we used to look forward to the future now we're
1: looking back and i think that is the problem we're constantly looking backwards instead of max headroom looking 20 minutes into the future if they made max headroom today they would make it 80s. And I think that's the problem, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's some weird cuz yeah, if you do look at a lot of a lot of movies and a lot of shows from the the 70s and the 80s or even the 90s, it was it was about it was future centric. It was oh, the year 2000, the, the year 1997, not I mean and, and I'm sure there were some shows that were meant to take place in the the 50s or the 40s or whatever, but I I highly doubt it was in as big of an abundance as nowadays, where everything takes place in the 80s, and, and really it's more just it's a nostalgia thing. I think people have an interest in it; they want to see what the 80s were like. You have more, uh, you have all these movie companies popping up that are that are doing re-releases of old movies that were once forgotten. So, so people have a, have a bone for nostalgia, particularly of the 80s stuff. But I do agree that they they ought to slam the brakes a, a little bit. Because it's like, okay, well, that's fine. But, you know, back then they they were looking forward to the future. Like, are we really admitting to such a point that the future sucks this bad that we want to go back to the 80s? Well, I, 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 <laughs> I,
0: I think, yeah, know, it's, it's partly because the 80s um – uh, to say the least, a rather flamboyant time. It was, neon it was such grit. a hopeful time. Yeah, you know, everything about the 80s, I mean, at the time, it was, you know, you had all the new romantics going on and all that kind of stuff. It was very centric, so I, I think people were kind of looking forward, uh, as much as anything, because... There was always wars going on back then anyway. Well, we, you know, you had the Vietnam Wars, Falklands War we were in, involved in, Cold War was going on. So people were looking forward to their future, either with dread or with hope. But there was more interest in looking forward than looking back, you know, because you you got the whole kind of post-war sort of period, which everybody was getting, getting past in the 60s was about the only point you could look back and go, oh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so everybody was naturally kind of looking forward. But you look at it now, I mean, everything's... Maybe I'm being a grumpy old man here, but, uh, everything is very homogenized these days. There's not an awful lot of character what we've got now. And I, I kind of felt this since the nineties, to be quite honest with you, that most of the, what, what we have, um, in a way of entertainment and stuff doesn't have a whole hell of a lot of identity.
1: But Glenn, look, look at something like All in the Family, 1971. Mm-hmm. And you know, it went through 1984. All in the family was contemporary and it was all about the future it was about Archie Bunker being unable to accept that things are changing people are coming out of the closet that black people are marching for their rights about the women's lib movement that whole show is about the future and the fear of the future of middle america if mm. you think about it, that is what All in the Family was about. It wasn't about family values. It wasn't about the past. It was about someone unable to let go of the past. Someone who
0: was afraid mm. of the future. I think um, Archie Bunker was actually based on a British TV series from from Cities in Sickness and inhale. I thought it was Till Death. I, I, th- I thought it was death, Till Death, death it was, it was Part. Yeah, yeah, it's basically that's like they're. they're... Sister series, one set before and one was later, uh, Till Death Do Us Part, and then uh, oh, no, Sickness in and Health, and then Till Death Do Us Part. But uh, very much the same kind of themes. So you've got one character who's very much stuck in the past and uh, doesn't like the fact that the world's changing around him.
1: And some so, people could say that's me yeah. today, considering I don't like modern movies. <laughs> I, I, I see the irony, well, commenters. I do see it.
0: So you <laughs> you are you
1: are Alf Garnet. <laughs> but at the same time, th- there's that really – funny quote from Southland Tales. Scientists now think the future is going to be far more futuristic than originally predicted. We need to look forward. You, you, you do have things like Black Mirror and that, which are very much a dark look forward. But I mean, that existed too. You know, we,
2: we had Twilight Zone and, and, uh, Outer Limits. So that's, that's not, uh, that, that's perfectly fine, I think. But it's like, we need some more stuff that looks forward positive. Well, I,
1: not necessarily positive. I just, I don't like the retro stuff when it's retro for the sake of retro for instance everyone Mm. just falls over themselves the goldbergs the goldbergs this show the goldbergs it's so amazing oh my god the, the, the transformers are on this episode oh my god freddy krueger show i've seen maybe a dozen episodes of the show maybe i've seen the wrong ones Every one of them is just reference, 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 character says a line, reference, 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 reference. The whole show is just referencing things from the 80s. I blame Tarantino. It's like, but these are not stories set in the 80s. I mean, they are, but they aren't stories of the 80s. They're stories that are going, look, I bought the new Transformer! At the same time, people nitpick me because, like, that Transformers episode, my brother got super pissed at me. So, wait a minute, he just bought a Wave 3 Transformer, and yet the store shelves are full, still full of Wave 1? No. No store still ha- <laughs> And he's like, can you just shut up and enjoy this? And I'm like, no! <laughs> Not only is it stupid, it's inaccurate stupid!
0: The obsessive compulsive doesn't even been begin to describe you
1: does it (laughs) i I just think if we're going to keep looking back we should look back in the right way how about a tv show about a weird new disease that's sexually transmitted and no one knows what it is and the fear that the characters have not knowing what the gay cancer is instead of jokes how about something that really epitomizes the fear of that time or it uses something from the 70s and 80s to actually tell a tale that is relevant to something today such as Set a tale in 1996 the creation of Fox News because they falsely believe that the news media is a is a left-wing conspiracy and they need a right-wing counterpoint in the creation of Fox News. Look at the environment of that instead of just huh 90s look at the hair. that's what most of these retro shows are they are just reference 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 and jokes about the references most of these don't use their period setting to actually tell a story that's what pisses me off that's why i didn't like ready player one
2: why i didn't even care to see it because everybody that told me reasons why i should see it is oh but this character shows up and iron giant was in it yeah but how is the movie who cares that these character show up? So go f*** yourself then. Movie reference the <laughs> I movie. I want to go see a movie just because Spawn shows up or because Jason yeah. shows up. God damn it. I'll go watch the HBO Spawn cartoon or I'll go watch Friday the 13th or I'll watch f***ing Iron Giant. I'm not going to watch a movie that sells itself to me just because a couple of these characters show up for nostalgia's sake.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Quit appropriating my 90s, you, you know, fuckers. You. When you kind of look at that stuff and basically they're just taking this stuff lock, stock and barrel and just throwing it back at you with no real appreciation for what that was about at the time, then, uh, then yeah, it's ridiculous. You look at the 80s and stuff like that and where some of the humor comes from when it was about political tensions at the time and all that kind of stuff. If you take that stuff and you throw it out now, it's meaningless unless you have that context of, you know, the Cold War in the background and all that kind of stuff going on. It it's misrepresents it so badly that you kind of look at it, you go, it's kind of sneering. <laughs> That's what I don't like. That's what I don't like when it comes to nostalgia is just um, using it frivolously and not trying to understand where it is that that came from and, and why people appreciate that stuff. It's just like, oh, look at this awesome thing or look at this silly thing from back then. And I don't like that. In the same way that I don't like li- with, um, like, scary movie and things like that Mm. where they take little references from various movies and just go, oh, doesn't that look stupid? Well,
2: it yeah, almost it seems more, it, it seems just more disrespectful, or just the, the sake, making fun of it for the sake of it, not doing any satire, not doing anything like that, just just pointing at something and laughing at Remember the 70s, how dumb they were? Yeah, just like so stupid, the, the remake stupid. of uh, when they did the Chips movie or when they did Dukes of Hazard, or recently when they did Baywatch, it was basically just like, look how dumb this old thing was. Now watch our movie making fun of it for an hour it's like no i i don't think i will see
1: the final thoughts on how film has changed do you think that it's like spiel is spielberg being a doom crier here or does he have i think he has some valid points but there are other things i do disagree with him on i haven't seen roma but I, I think Roma probably deserves its Oscar nominations, but I do agree that this could start a bleed where within five years all the Oscar nominations are freaking Netflix movies, and I do think that would sort of take away from it.
2: I don't know. I just think some filmmakers need to stop bitching and realize, this, uh, realize that, chi- that times are changing their uh, Archie Bunker.
0: I, I kind of think that, again, times are changing. The delivery methods are changing. Cinema and the uh, award ceremonies, particularly with the award ceremonies, they need to look at the things that they're giving the prizes to rather than how they're delivered. Although I do understand why cinema would want to have its own awards kind of set up. But uh, when it comes down to it, the idea of, saying just because it was streamed or it was straight to video or whatever, um, doesn't make it well makes it intrinsically less valuable than something which was shown at the cinema. I can give you a million examples of um, films that break that particular approach.
1: Well, then finally, where can people find the Peter?
2: Uh you can find me hopefully recovering files that I haven't backed up thanks to Windows ten being a piece of donkey short Other than that, I'm going to be working on a new video. Hopefully that will be out soon. Check out the kind of latest one I have up on my channel. Follow me on Twitter at Zinematica. Follow me, follow me on YouTube at The Cinematicist, of course, at 1201beyond.com. Of course, on Facebook, The Cinematicist, on Patreon at Zinematica, and of course, on 1201beyond.com. we got some good merch. Check out some of that. Watch the other fine entertainment. I don't know. Support your local delicatessen.
1: And Not Cecil, where can people find
0: you? <laughs> you can find Not Cecil at um, YouTube, it's LumpyMan101, or at... Um, cynicalcelluloid.com
1: and you can find me you can find me it at 1201beyond.com you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com try to be a cut above keep one foot in the gutter one fist in the gold have a good night